Let us begin. The first one is about Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. And he says here that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, set out for the Hijrah early at night. During his journey, the Prophet Sayyidina Abu Bakr sometimes would walk ahead of the Messenger at nighttime. Why? So that if there's something in the path, right? He would hit. Now, in Germany, the, the polite manners, I, I remember studying this in, in German class. Uh, in seventh grade, they make you take like a one semester of each class in seventh grade so that in eighth grade, you can make a decision, but you have to take German for a semester, Spanish for a semester, and French for a semester. So then at that point, you can actually make a decision of what you want to take. So in Germany, one of the things that they do is that the man goes out first. So like the wisdom behind that is that so he can see if there's danger, right? That's why the man goes out first, to see if there's any danger there. So uh, sometimes it's from the from the uh, what the the wise thing to do is to go ahead of the person who's that you're that you're like respecting, right? So he goes out first, uh, and he would walk in front of the messenger sallallahu to make sure there were no ditches, there were no issues, there were no problems, etc., etc., etc. And now he says sometimes he would walk on the right of the messenger sallallahu and sometimes on the left because if you're walking with somebody and there's some harm on the right. Let's say you're walking with either someone you respect a lot more than you, someone that you honor, like your prophet, or like a child, or you're, let's say you're walking with your wife. There's traffic is on the right side. Who's going to walk on the right then? The guy, right? The dad or whatever. Or if the traffic's on the left, you walk on the left. So there's a reason why he was walking in this. So the Prophet them said, oh, Abu Bakr. Now let's see what, what Abu Bakr replied with this. Said, yeah, Abu Bakr. Sometimes I see you moving in front, sometimes behind me, sometimes besides me. So, but, so why was Sayyidina Abu Bakr? We talked about why the normal person would do that. Why was Sayyidina Abu Bakr doing this? He said, Whenever the thought of the enemy pursuing you from the back occurs to me, I move swiftly from the back. In other words, again, same concept. If there's a threat, I go backwards. I think that there's a threat. And whenever fear overcomes that the enemy is ahead, I moved ahead. Whenever I thought they were on the right, I moved to the right. To the left, to the left. All right? Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Abu Bakr. Munada Mansub. If it is mudaf and mudaf ilay. Ya is called. Harf and nida. You're calling somebody. If it's mudaf, mudaf ilay, it's mansub. Ya Aba Bakr. Not Ya Abu Bakr. Ya Aba Bakr. Because it's mudaf, mudaf ilay. Prophet Sallallahu said, Ya Abu Bakr, do you prefer your life over mine? In other words, to, uh, 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 to sacrifice your life for me. Abu Bakr Siddiq said, without a doubt, O Messenger of Allah, I swear by the one who has sent you with the truth of Islam that I prefer that I would sacrifice myself for you. See, when the Prophet Sallallahu and Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq, they were doing the hijrah, the amount of asrar of secrets, of, of things that happened between Sayyidina Abu Bakr and between the Prophet we will never know. How, imagine you have two weeks with the Prophet, peace be upon, but not two weeks where everything is normal, two weeks of heightened, heightened, heightened intensity, almost fear, reliance upon Allah. That means your iman is heightened. Okay? There are no, nothing is distracting. Imagine you just had two weeks with somebody. That's not really a big deal because you just, it's just two weeks with somebody. But, Two weeks under threat with somebody. 
And two weeks of either traveling or, or, or staying in the cave. That means you're together at all times. It's not like two weeks in a house. I might be sleeping. You might be awake, right? Something like that. No. Together they're traveling. Together they're resting. An amazing, amazing gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq. He was the one to get, to do the hijrah with the messenger, peace be upon him. How could he not be the Khalifa after the Prophet, peace be upon him? Think about that. The, the secrets that he carried between him and the messenger, that experience, nobody else carried that experience. Not a single person ever had anything close to what he had in that experience. Show, show me in the seerah. Who had two weeks alone with the messenger? Who had one week, just him and the messenger? No, the Prophet said, and once he arrived at Medina, that was it. Privacy was so limited, right? There was hardly any privacy. So that was it. It was almost as if this is a, a, almost like a parting gift in the sense that Abu Bakr Siddiq spent so much time supporting the Prophet in Mecca, having a lot of private time in Mecca. This, was, this hijrah was as if to say, this is it. There's no more private time after this. It's going to be very rare that he has any privacy with the Messenger Next, he says, Sayyidina Abu Bakr regards, regarding the hijrah with the Messenger, we traveled hastily the entire day and the entire night until the afternoon heat became too intense. I then found the road to be empty and no one was walking on it. I looked ahead to see whether I could find any shade so we could take shelter. I then spotted a cave in which we took refuge and I said, O Messenger of Allah, وسلم, remain outside the cave and allow me to enter it so that if there's any harm, right, it will harm me and not you. After entering the cave, I began cleaning it and spread out a cloth upon which the messenger could lay down. I then requested him to enter, take a rest, and he acceded to my request. In other words, he accepted this request. The messenger, peace be upon him, laid down, and I went to see whether I could spot anyone who was searching for us. In other words, he's doing reconnaissance. It's called reconnaissance. You go, uh, uh, and we have here something here in America called Second Force Recon, uh, that you just you have to go in deep into the enemy territory and make sure, get an assessment of what's going on. So he went, and then I spotted a, a shepherd nearby, and I said, who's the owner? And he named a man from Mecca, and I knew the man. Okay. They knew each other. All right. So he said, give us some milk. And uh, he said, do any of the goats have milk? He said, yes. He said, can you give us some milk? He said, he agreed. Give us some milk. Right. Because if, if you, when you're dealing with somebody else's wealth, you're allowed to actually um, dispose of it and use it as you see fit that the owner would have accepted. Like if something that wouldn't be a considered, you know, misuse of the funds or of the, of, of the property. So he agreed, and he milked one of the goats for me, and I poured it into a container. I added some water to the milk to cool it down, because milk comes out hot. So he added some water to the milk. And then I took this to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa I found him awake, and I said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, take some of this milk. Uh, and he was extreme, relishing the milk. He said, And the Messenger, peace be upon him, took it, and he drank from it, and he said, I was... The Prophet uh, Abu Bakr, he said, it gave me so much happiness to see the Messenger, peace be upon him, taking something for himself. Because the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, was always giving, giving, giving. From uh, his, his habit was always giving. And for him to take something for himself, Abu Bakr just like sat there and watched. For the, you know, it wasn't a normal thing for the Prophet to take for himself. He was always in a status of hunger or fasting or giving out his wealth. 
Next, he says, Abu Bakr prepared to sacrifice everything for the Prophet. During Badr, Sayyidina Abu Bakr's son, Abdul Rahman, was still not a Muslim. And he fought on the opposite side. After embracing Islam, while seated with his father, Abu Bakr explained, Oh, my beloved father, during the battle, I, I, you were in striking distance. Okay? A few times. But I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't kill you. Abu Bakr said, if you were in my striking distance, I would have killed you, right? Because you could have killed the messenger of Allah, right? That's why, not because I'm trying to kill you, you could you could have killed the prophet. Like if you were, if you had the chance, you would have killed the prophet. Therefore, I wouldn't have spared you. So this shows that Abu Bakr's love for, for the messenger was greater than his love even for his own flesh. Some people say they find this odd. They find this like sort of weird. Why should I love somebody else more? Well, the thing is this. The Prophet ﷺ is the key to eternal happiness. That's that's our belief. That's our deen. Allah has used him as the key to eternal happiness. So if you love somebody, you want them to have eternal happiness, right? So therefore, he's the root okay, of all of their happiness. Without the messenger, peace be upon him, we wouldn't have this. We'd have misery in this life. We wouldn't have answers to moral questions we wouldn't have understand we wouldn't have a lot of the spirituality that we have the stability that we have without allah having sent us the prophet peace be upon him. that's why he takes priority over us over all things if you want your happiness secure the source of your happiness first he's the source of all stability and happiness and therefore the love of him takes priority over all other things all right let's take a look at some other incidences Okay, let us now move to interesting one. The Sahabi Hakim Ibn Hizam. He begged for some assistance. He used to be a beggar. The Sahabi, some Sahaba were beggars, and he used to be a beggar. Okay. He used to be a beggar. He begged. And the Prophet gave him something. He came again and he begged. And the Prophet gave him something. When he came the third time, the Prophet gave him something. He said, yeah, Hakim, money has a deceptive appearance. It appears very sweet, but it is not really so. It is a blessing when earned with the contentment of heart, but no satisfaction when acquired by greed or begging. See, this is a beautiful thing. How we interact with earning. When your heart is already content, you're happy with what you have, and you earn money, that money is a blessing for you. But when you're greedy, or you're cheating. Like there's not there's two types of cheating that's haram, but there's also a way of earning money which is not supposed to be. Is the idea of begging. When you're a young man, okay, you shouldn't beg. When we in the masjid we have zakah and Ramadan's coming, there's gonna be a lot of money for zakah. If you're a a, a, state, a, a physically able-bodied young man, chances are you're not gonna get the zakah. They always prefer the single moms over the young men because it doesn't it's not it's not the right way of things you're a young man you should be working go work okay and even if you're hungry chances are if you're homeless or something give me some us uh if you're homeless or something you can survive if you're a young man where'd you get this from medina it's good stuff okay so he said oh master of allah I will not beg again from anyone after this. Here's the beautiful thing about this is that you, when you earn, 
you look at your state before you earn. Imam al-Shaf, he said something similar. He said, when you receive something, if you have no problem losing it, then it will never harm you. But if losing it would shake your iman, okay, then, or or cause you to have, like have a fit, he said, then you're not in the position to receive it. It's going to harm you because it's in control of you rather than you being in control of it. Okay. How about this? Look at this. In the neighborhood of Sayyidina Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, there was a person who was leading a life of sin and vice. Okay. He's always sinning. One day he attended the, dis, the, 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 the lecture of Sayyidina Imam Ahmed and upon entering the majlis, he, he greeted him with salam. Imam Ahmed answered his salam. The man perceived that the imam had shown some disinclination towards him. So the man's view was like, oh, he didn't give me like a warm salam. He just said, well, I can So he addressed Imam Ahmed. He said, oh, Abdullah, I feel like you're not happy with my presence here. Okay. Perceiving that the imam had a natural aversion to him. Okay. Because maybe because of his sins. He said, I wish to inform you that from this day on, I've given up my life of sin and have resolved to lead a life of obedience and submission. He further explained to Imam Ahmad, he said, last night I had a dream of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He said, why do you not request me? Now he's sitting in front of the Prophet. The Prophet sallallahu said, ask me for a dua. Ask me for a dua. Why don't you ask me for a dua? He said, oh messenger of Allah, my, I have so many sins and such a life of transgression. I'm ashamed even to be in your presence, let alone to speak to you and ask for a dua. The Prophet said, do not have fear, nor worry, nor shame. Stand up and I will make dua on your behalf. So I stood up in front of the Messenger of Allah and he made dua for me. I woke up immediately. And I found that Allah had placed a natural aversion and resentment in my heart for all the sins that I was involved in. Subhanallah. It's in the book of Tawabin, the book of penitence, the penitent people. Subhanallah. Ammar, are you joining us today? You need to just fix your couch, push it in. Subhanallah. How about Ayyub al-Sikhtiyani? Famous, famous. Abdullah bin Mubarak said, I heard that Imam Abu Hanifa said, when Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani was in Al-Madin Al-Munawwara, I was also there. And I watched him to see how he goes and he says salam to the Messenger Sallallahu I saw him facing the grave with his back to the Qibla. And he was standing there without saying a word. Rather, he was just weeping and weeping. Let's talk about this Bedouin at the grave of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Once a Bedouin visited the grave of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and he said, Ya Allah, you have commanded that slaves be set free. Here lies your most beloved messenger. And here stands your slave, standing at the final resting place of your most beloved. I beseech you, set free this humble slave from the fire of hell. In other words, set me free. Yeah, write it, write it down now that I'm free from the hellfire. From the unseen, a voice was heard saying, For yourself alone did you ask freedom. Why did you not ask for all of the ummah? We have set you free from the fire of Jahannam. So this is actually one of the lessons here is that 
if you want something for yourself, bring someone along with you. Like if you want, let's say someone um, is is shooting for something in life. If you're shooting for it by yourself, that's good. Dua is excellent. But if you're actually adding someone with it, like give me the tawfiq versus give me and Suhaib and Ammar the tawfiq and us and Ryan, right? All of us. Okay. That's much stronger that your dua will be accepted. Because let's say you are, you really don't need it. But let's say Ammar really needs it. Okay. More than, of all of us, he really needs it. And he really, he earned it somehow. Right. We'll all get it on behalf of him. Because Allah Ta'ala, when a group of people make dua, he doesn't say, okay, yours is accepted, yours is not. Yours is accepted, yours is not. That's not how it works. They all go up at once. That's why it's always, if you could have someone partake with you in the dua, or, or that you're mentioning someone else with you in the dua, it's always stronger. So here, Al-Asma'i, he relates, once a Bedouin stood in front of the grave of the Messenger of Allah. He said, Ya Allah, here lies your beloved. This is your beloved. And I'm your slave. And shaitan is your enemy. If you forgive me, your beloved will be pleased and your enemy will be displeased. He said, oh my sustainer, do not forgive me the heart of your beloved. If you do not forgive me, then the heart of your beloved will grieve because I'm from his ummah. <laughs> and your enemy will be overjoyed because your slave is with him in Jahannam. Okay. Oh Allah, it is a custom among Arabs that whenever a great ruler among them passes away, they used to set the free all of his slaves. Right? At his grave. As they buried him, they set free all of his grave. Said, oh Allah, here lies the master of all leaders and rulers, and I stand here as your slave. So Allah set me free from the fire of Jahannam. Asma'i says, further hearing the supplication of this Bedouin, I said to him, Ya Akhil Arab. Okay. Oh, man of the Bedouin or something like this. Oh, Arab. All right. This was a wonderful supplication and Allah will definitely forgive your sins. Okay. So all of this is by, subhanAllah, uh, our connection to the Prophet. Habib Omar recently put out a video and he said that what, why are the Sahaba greater than everybody else? Is it their knowledge of Quran? Some of them were not even Hafad. Khalid bin Walid prayed with Qisad al-Sur. He didn't have time to memorize the Quran. As soon as he got in, entered Islam, straight to war, right? And spent the rest of his life in war. So he was a man who, he didn't memorize the Quran. Okay. So what was the uh, secret of the Sahaba? Okay. By the way, you guys have to be very close to the mic today. Like kissing the mic. And then you can tighten it up here. Like literally kissing the mic. So he said then that uh, it's not by their hifs. How about conquest? Not every Sahabi conquered anything. Like they didn't spread Islam. How about converts? Not everyone entered Islam because of Sahaba. Some Sahaba did did not bring anyone in Islam. How about fiqh? Some Sahaba weren't fuqaha. But the least companion is greater than the greatest Muslim after him. So how do we make sense of that? He said it's by the connection to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Right, that's the rank of the messenger, peace be upon. Him. All right, let's talk about Al Qastilani. Qastilani is from the Muslims who ruled over uh, parts of the Mediterranean, and 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 that name Castellano still comes down. Okay, uh, it, but now they're all non-Muslims, obviously, like Italians. 
Al-Qastalani, he writes in his book, Al-Mawahib Al-Ladunniya. What does Al-Mawahib Al-Ladunniya mean? Al-Mawahib Al-Ladunniya means uh, the gifts that are given, like secret gifts from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah ta'ala gives people gifts, secrets. Right? When they act upon the religion, Allah gives them like secret knowledge. In other words, insights and wisdoms on the ibadah. Okay? He says, I became so sick that the doctors gave up treating me. The doctors gave up and they said, prepare him for the death. SubhanAllah. I, I speak like an Arab now. Prepare him for the death. Prepare him for death. <laughs> I need to relearn English, to be honest with you. Because I read so much and I listen. All I listen to is Arabic and all I read is Arabic. I hardly read English books anymore, right? I'm not into someone who, you know, these like uh, some people read all sorts of anthropological books and literature. I don't read that stuff, right? <laughs> I'm totally not into any of that stuff, right? Maybe maybe I should read that stuff, but I don't see any point, right? Uh -huh. So I don't read a lot of these things. Uh, so my, my Arabic actually has to get better. My English has to get better. I mean. So prepare for death, he said. He said one day, um, it was the 28th of Jumad al-Ula in the Hijri year 893. And I was in Mecca al-Mukarramah. And I made dua through the wasila of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that he heals me of my affliction. We talked about this the other day. The Prophet sallallahu taught the blind man and the blind man was healed from this. And we said, Atawajjahu ilallah bi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Atawajjah, I turn. There are now two prepositions that are going to come grow like a branch and two sub-branches. I turn to Allah by the Prophet. Why? Because every time we turn to Allah Ta'ala, we actually have to offer something. Offer tahajjud, offer fasting, offer sadaqah, offer even drinking zamzam is a wasila, right? And the greatest of all of these wasail is the one who taught us these wasail, right? Logically speaking, it must be. The root is more important than, than the branch, right? What do you, if you're going to sacrifice something of the tree, would you sacrifice the branch or the trunk? Of course, the branch, right? So he then said, uh, through the Messenger, I made, oh, I said, oh, Allah, for the sake of the Messenger, my connection to him, everything related, my followership of him, everything related to him, heal me of my sickness. While I was asleep, then I saw a vision in which I saw a man with a piece of paper in his hand on which was written, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has commanded that this medicine be given to Ahmed ibn Qastalan. Al-Qastalani. When I woke up, I found that no sign of my illness remained. Okay. SubhanAllah. I'm telling you. Next, let's talk about Abu Imran al-Wasiti. No relation to Al-Aqid Al-Wasitiyya. <laughs> no relation, which is a Aqidah book that is basically taking the Mutashabihat and making them central. And we do the exact opposite. Okay. Not to say that there are not some excellent things in that book, but those excellent things are also found in all the other books. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, once... I was on a journey towards Medina, Al-Munawwara, 
And along the way, I was so thirsty. And we had run out of water. That happened, used to happen back in the day. The journeys were dangerous. SubhanAllah. Traveling was a dangerous thing. So traveling was really dangerous. Ran out of water. And I feared death, so I just sat under a tree. That's it. Khalas. Ready to die. Suddenly, a rider appeared upon me, but the horse was green. And the, the rope was green, the reins, and the saddle was green. In his hand was a glass that was green, and the drink inside of it was green. Like, it's something strange, right? And I took that glass right away, and I drank it three times from that glass. One gulp, second gulp, second gulp, okay? Until there was not a drop left in it. He then asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to Medina Manawara to convey my salam to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa and his two companions. He then replied, when you reach Medina al-Munawwara and you have greeted them, then convey my salam to the Messenger as well and to his two companions. Tell them that Ridwan has conveyed his salam. The angel of Jannah. The angel in charge of paradise. Subhanallah. This is in the book Fada'il al-Madina al-Munawwara. The book of Fada'il al-Madina al-Munawwara. Subhanallah. That is a amazing karama. Do we believe in karamat? Because we are, we're not naturalists. That's why we so easily believe in karamat. Because we're not naturalists. What is a naturalist? The naturalist believes that the way things are is like some kind of default setting. Right? It has to be this way. We say, no, it doesn't have to be this way. Right? It does not have to be this. It's only this way because Allah said be it this way. I could have been, we could have been, humans could have been purple. Lions could have been green. Uh, walking could have been upside down on the sky. Eating could have been just like eating mud. That would have been nourishment for us. Procreation could have happened by other organs if Allah wanted. Humans could have grown out of trees if Allah, like plants if Allah wanted. Right? Anything was possible. That is, as long as it is not a self-contradiction, it's possible. And Allah Ta'ala chose things to be this way for a wisdom that he knows. But it could have been chosen any other way. So therefore, when something like this, like an angel comes to the earth, that's something that we're not accustomed to. Okay? We're just not accustomed to it. It's not the norm of his creation. But there's nothing that would stop it from happening. Okay? So that's why it's so easily... All we look at from when it comes to karamat, all we look at is the narration. Is the narrator trustworthy? Right. That's all we care about. And there are some karamat that are impossible. That we call by sharia, it's impossible. Anything that messes with, that, that, that is, is in lineage, for example, was limited. For example, no woman can now say, I have a baby just like Sayyidina Maryam. That is cut off. When Allah Ta'ala, there's a general rule, it's not always the case, but generally, when Allah Ta'ala specifies the person in the Qur'an for a karama, then that person, then that is a limited miracle, mu'ajiza. In general, the general rule is anything that could be a, a, a mu'ajiza and karama could be anything. There's no limit. The only limit is a mu'ajiza to a prophet comes with the claim of prophethood. And he should proclaim it. It should be proclaimed because it's a marker. This is a prophet of Allah. Follow him. Whereas karamat for awliya, if, if it's for himself, he may only tell the people whose iman would increase from it. Okay? Otherwise, he's better off to keep it to himself. So he avoids riya, showing off. 
and that the people don't sort of like start treating him so differently and that it affects his deen possibly so the adab in dealing with it is different but it could be anything so that's the that's the rule but they they also just say as a general likelihood that when allah specifies something in the quran then it is something that um is only for that prophet for example we're not allowed to to not plan something as a, let's say you're a military general not plan something and put yourself put the people between a rock and a hard place then they're going to get slaughtered like what Sayyidina Musa salam woke up his people all in the middle of the night wake up the entire Bani Israel hundreds I think there were hundreds of thousands right of Bani Israel probably what 200,000 members of Bani Israel at that time right so maybe 100,000 who knows right but wake them all up and let's all head east well what's east the water why would you head to the water get all your belongings and Fir'aun is right behind us now because he got wahi to do that a military general tells you to do that now it's it, that, that that's like a crime you're putting us in a situation where we could be killed but that was a wahi so there's some things that are different and then the split of the sea obviously split for him question to Hadlar. The story of Tarek bin Ziyad, where he they crossed over and then he burnt the ships with that, like. But but they were ready. They were armed soldiers ready for war. This was women, children. The question he asked was Tarek bin Ziyad, who said that he burnt the ships, but he was there were soldiers, so they're already going to die. Like they already know that they can die. So he said no retreating. He cut off the the retreat methods. Next one says Hadrat. Yazid ibn Abi Sa'id al-Madani, he says, on one occasion, intending to travel to Medina Manora, I bid farewell to Umar ibn Abdul Aziz. He said, I wish, I have a wish, I need you to fulfill for me. He says, what is it? He said, when you reach Medina, go to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in other words, his grave, and convey my salam to him. So, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz thought that this was extremely important. Okay to always convey the salam of somebody so that it shows that it's the salaf used to do that and it's allowed for someone to do that all right let's talk about beautiful incidents relating to the salah and salam on the prophet peace be upon him okay how about this one saying uh ubaidullah ibn umar al-qawariri he said i had a close companion who was a scribe by profession after he died i saw him in a dream and inquired from him how did Allah deal with you? And this is happens all the time. It happens all the time that people will see their companions afterwards in a dream. When I asked for the reason, he said, it was my habit. He said that Allah forgave me all my sins. He said, why? He said, when I was writing as a scribe, whenever I wrote the name of the master, I never hesitated to spend the time and the energy and the ink and the space on the paper to write sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In other words, Many people, for some reason, get stingy with this. You got a, a document, a book, for example, that's 500 pages, but you don't want to write that, so you just write S. Okay. Oh, PBUH, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? PBUH. So you got a book this big, and that's going to save you the space? SubhanAllah. That's what's going to save you the space. Peanut butter and jelly. I... Uh, <laughs> Okay, and he said Allah loved this so much. In other words, no hesitation at all to write Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Not hesitating. 
not considered a waste of ink, waste of space, waste of time. Okay. That he granted me what no eye has seen, no ear has ever heard, and neither did the thought okay, of such bounties ever cross the mind of any person. SubhanAllah. Another one, Abu al-Hasan al-Maymun, he says, I once saw my Ustad Abu Ali in a dream. I noticed that something was written on his fingers in gold or it was saffron, like yellow. I asked him, oh, what is that? He said, whenever I came across the name of the messenger while copying a hadith, I did not hesitate to write sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and hence he has a gold design on his fingers now. Right? Like tattoo almost, but not a, but in gold. Subhanallah. Now here is one of the biggest karamats known in the history of Islam because of its documentation. All right. <clears throat> Someone is asking, does this is this live stream Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah? Now listen, look at this. <laughs> yes. This is. <laughs> Someone asked me once. They asked me if I'm a Shia and a TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, questions. many times. Almost every are video. Are you? Are you Shia? Are you because Shia? of the black? No, I think it's just they don't know. They I know. Don't I know. know one video. It's because you mentioned Tauria in there. <laughs> Tauria. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least it's Tauria is at least not Takia. Yeah. Right. Tauria is to say something true, knowing the other person will misunderstand it. Takia is uh, to actually lie. So once, if you have taqiyah in your doctrine, you can never believe that person. Because how do you know he's doing it? He may be doing taqiyah all the time. Even if he renounces taqiyah, you never know <laughs> if he's lying or not. So thank oh, you for... Question. They always ask, yeah. are you Sufi? No one knows how to spell it. It's S-O-O-F-I, yeah. S-O-F-Y. And like, then the comments, you know, like, so yeah. we get mad. They're like, why would you ask him such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Sharif al-Din, he says, very Sunni. Not just Sunday, very Sunday. I like that answer. Okay. Alhamdulillah. Malikiya ala madhab al-ashaira. Subhanallah. And all the four madhabs and the three aqidas in our Ahl sunnah are always welcome to be part of our operation. Uh, Sayyid Ahmad al-Rifai, he was one of the greatest scholars at his time. And he made hajj. This karama is documented. Okay. This karama all right, it's documented. That's why it's the, considered the biggest karama. Abdul Qadr Jalani was there. He attended that. Karama. He was there. It was at the Rauda. Okay. He visited Medina Munawwara and he went to the grave of the Prophet and he stood because he's a scholar. So people just stood and watched. Right. They're watching what he says. He says, what he means is from far off i used to send my soul on behalf to greet you in this resting place now the body is here so stretch out your hands so that my lips can have the, the honor of kissing it the ninety thousand people witnessed and Okay, where is this? This is Siyuti documents this. The Siyuti documents his karama that a hand came out and he kissed it. And they all saw it. Who was there? Abdul Qadr al-Jaylani. Ahmed al-Rifai, when this happened to him, he refused to let anyone leave the masjid unless that he, he had put 
his his neck down and they have to step over his neck to kill his any spiritual arrogance that could come out of that mm. by a physical demonstration. All of you walk over my neck. Everyone did, and Abdul Qadir Jilani refused. He refused. And he said, we will stay here forever. Right? <laughs> Me or it's you. And according to the story that I read, he said it will be the opposite. And he was the last one to go, and he refused to leave until you step over my neck, right? So and and that's what happened. And Allah knows best. I can't if if that was was, but that was Subhanallah Karama. That is the reason is it's documented, and I believe too that is Dhabi documented it. Remember Dhabi because scholars were all present. Remember Karama. It's not the issue of the Karama. It's the issue of the transmission of it. We have no problem with Ahlus Sunnah is marked by. We accept mantiq. We do not accept a contradiction in words. Words have meanings based upon what the Arabs use them by. And we do not accept a contradiction in words, in language. The language of the Quran is not a mystery. It's what Allah, it's what the Arabs used it as. What? We have revealed this Quran in a clear Arabic tongue. So there are no games regarding the words of the Quran. Okay? And so we reject logical contradictions. But what we accept is the supernatural. We reject the irrational and we accept the super rational with ease. And that is the hallmark of Ahl Sunnah. That's why we can keep our heads straight, right? While believing in Karamat. We keep our heads straight because we actually have an epistemology that monitors what we believe, why, and what the meaning of the Quran actually is. If you break this up and you say, well, the Quran's meaning can mean many different things, right? We say, yeah, it can mean many different things. As long as you give us an evidence that that word means that. The evidence is pre-Islamic poetry or the language of the Arabs until the first generation, 100 years. Why? Because out of 100 years, the new generation was mixed. Grew up with Persians. They were no longer in authority. So we say all pre-Islamic up to 100 after the Hijrah, you know, roughly, because that's where the, the, the Arabic even got corrupted. Even Arab Muslim kids were making mistakes in Arabic, right? And Omar ibn Khattab got very concerned. Okay. Next. Al-Qawl al-Badi'ah. Al-Allama. Al-Sakhawi. Sorry, Al-Sakhawi. Famous scholar. Sakhawi. A very reliable student from among the students of Sheikh Raslan told me that the Messenger Sallallahu appeared to him in a dream. And the Kitab. Al-Qawl al-Badi'ah. Al-Qawl al-Badi'ah is a book concerning the salawat on the prophet written by a sakhawi he wrote the book was presented to him and the messenger accepted it he accepted the book as a gift this pleased me very much and therefore hope that allah ta'ala and his messenger accepted and that i will be greatly rewarded in both worlds i therefore urge you all to continue reciting salah on the messenger and who in all sincerity and give it time for indeed, your salah reaches the Messenger in his grave and your name is mentioned in his presence. Book Al-Qawl Al-Badiyah. Critical. About a story about the Burda. Qasid Al-Burda. Al-Busayri was a scholar. He was he was a, uh, a man who, back in those days, everyone had some knowledge, right? But his function in the society was that he was, he used to keep he used to sit in the court of the princes. And the courts of the princes, there was some like open door for certain people. He used to recite poetry for them. Okay. 
And sometimes he would recite poetry just for them listening, and sometimes political poetry, praises of the Amir, okay? Which is basically that you have a big audience and you have ambassadors, you have other whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the poet sings and he says wonderful things about the monarchy, wonderful things about the, uh, uh, you know, the king, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not a considered a praiseworthy job. You're just like a state-sponsored mouthpiece, basically. So he then, uh, he, he, he got paralyzed, he got sick. Now, of course, when you're sitting there and you're an intellectual grown up in the Islamic world, this is Egypt at that time, I think it was around 800 or so, that um, you're going to have knowledge. So he had a lot of knowledge too, just by being around, being someone who reads books. So he said here that he was afflicted with a stroke and he, be and he became flat on his back, right? And he was paralyzed. And almost like the way that a lot of us felt in COVID, that time passed, one month, two months, three months, around the sixth, seventh, eighth month, you're changing. You're really yeah. transforming because so much time has elapsed without company, without people. So he started to transform. And so he said, instead of this, me spending all my life, he starts contemplating his life and he stops writing poetry for the kings. What did that do for me, right? He starts writing poetry about the prophet. He said, what, what else do I have? That's, that's what even the sinful Muslim, like a, a, a lukewarm or barely in it Muslim, I never have a problem with those guys. Ch chances are, most likely, when some calamity hits, he's going to know exactly where to go. Right? It'll take some time, a couple months, where the dunyawi thoughts just disappear by themselves. And you start thinking about real life, like, what is my life What's going on? What am I doing in life? And then all of a sudden that he starts, he slowly transformed. So he starts to devote all of his time writing poetry for the Prophet until finally one night I had a dream of the Prophet. And I presented to him the poetry that I wrote, Khasidat al Burda. Some say that he uttered the entire Burda in the dream. And there is even one line in it that he was thinking in the dream he was thinking and the prophet finished him, finished it for him. Okay. And I believe that line is if I'm not mistaken. He said then after I finished the entire Burda reciting it in front of the prophet he took off his cloak and he tossed it upon me in the dream. He said, then I woke up and I found I did not have a single pain in my spine and I was able to walk. And I remembered the entire Burda and I wrote it down. So in uh, the one story I heard it said two ways. One is that he wrote the Burda and then he recited it to the Prophet. And the other was that he actually thought of it right there in that dream or it came to him in that dream. That's why it's the most famous dream, poem of all time. Of all time, human history. Like the proof is that we the, the through the publication and the public recitation, you can't find a. a I could. I, I. Do you think there's a public gathering of the Buddha recitation in South America? I'm like ninety nine point nine percent there is. If there are enough Muslims, there will be a public recitation of the Buddha. Let's say at least once a year. That I'm like ninety nine point nine 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 percent sure, right? Do you think it's sold? If I'm in South America, not a lot of Muslims in South America. 
do you think I could get my hands on a hard copy from an Islamic bookstore of the Buddha? Like 99.999% sure. Because there probably is an Islamic bookstore in South America somewhere. And they're going to have the Buddha, right? In Europe, 100%. Africa, it's no, no discussion. Million percent. Okay, subcontinent, million percent. Indonesia, no discussion. All these places, no discussion, right? Can you say that about any other poem? Can you say that about Shakespeare, right? And they're being translated into some most languages, right? Mm. So who's competing? Because if it's going to be the most famous, we don't have to be poetry specialists to know, right? So we should really know. If there's any competition with the Buddha, we would know. Shakespeare's not competing. By the way, he's also canceled, by the way. <laughs> he's canceled. <laughs> he's anti-Semitic, right? <laughs> Uh, my pound of flesh from the Jew. Remember yeah, that yeah, one? Yeah. What was it called? The Merchant of Venice. Right? Listen to this. <laughs> Abu Abdul Rahman Al Maqri. He relates from Khalad ibn Kathir. He was on the throes of death. Under his pillow, a piece of paper was found. He had written, This document is. A proof of freedom from the fire for Khalid ibn, Khalid ibn Kathir. People asked his wife, what is this? Okay, how could he have something like this? She replied, it was his practice uh, to recite the following salawats 1,000 times every Friday. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin and Nabi al-Umni. 1,000 times every Friday he would recite this. So when he died and they moved him and they were moving his stuff, they found under his head a note that says this is a document, freedom of the fire from me. Appeared there. How about Dala'ilul Khairat? You've all heard about the book, Dala'ilul Khairat, right? What about it? <laughs> uh, here it is. See that? Dala'ilul Khairat. It is mentioned regarding the author of Dala'ilul Khairat. His name is Imam al Jazuli. Imam al Jazuli spent, uh, he had a khalwa, I think it was like 17 years in Fez. That was a long khalwa. Okay. But one time he was on a journey. Khalwa is to stay in private, avoiding all people to purify your heart. Back in the day, you could do that because nothing, you come out 17 years later, nothing changed, right? <laughs> Today, you take a 17 minutes, you shut your phone off, you, you put your phone back on, and you feel like the whole world pats you by, right? <laughs> 17 days, you would feel like you don't know anyone anymore. If 17 days you went off the grid, you would feel like, who knows? Is my wife remarried? Right? <laughs> you wouldn't know. Everything changed. Does technology still exists? Blah blah blah. What's it, does this phone still work? Okay. So what about Dala'ul Khairat and Imam Al Jazuli? He was on a journey and he needed water to perform wudu. Subsequently, he found a well, but he didn't have a bucket or a rope, so he could not draw water from the well. He was so concerned for his salah, like there's water, but there's no way to get it. Okay. In this state, there was a young girl, a little girl. She came and she said, what's the problem? He said, I can't get this, uh, the water, and I need to make wudu for salah. So she spits in the well. He's looking, what? All of a sudden, water rises up that allows him to make wudu. Seeing this karama from this bint, he was overcome. And he said to the girl, how did you attain this karama? She replied, this was through Salah on the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that I always recite. It was this miracle 
that motivated him to start writing Dila'il al-Khairat. So the Senate for Dila'il al-Khairat goes back to Imam al-Jazuli, but in meaning, in, in, its, in its meaning, it goes back to that girl, that inspiration. Yeah, there's, I've heard a different narration of the... There's a couple of narrations of the story, right? Yeah, what did you hear? I heard the one regarding his uh, Imam Jazuli's wife, where the girl, she recited something, like under her breath, she spit three times in the well, yeah, and then water sprung out. And then when Imam Jazuli went up to her, she said, there's someone in your house who knows better. Oh, subhanAllah. And then, so he goes back home, and um, when he goes back home, the next day he pretends like he's sick, right? Because every day he'd like gone to his, his dars without like missing. He would go in the morning, leave, teach, do his ibadah, and then he would come back home at night, right? Yeah. But so this time, he pretended to be sick. Um, and so he, he was just laying in the house, and the morning time came. Um, and then his wife asked him, like, aren't you going to go to work or anything? He said, no, no, I'm just going to rest in my bed today. Like, I'm very tired, right? And then... What happened was that he was resting and then he noticed his wife just like disappeared. Hmm. Right. And then <laughs> later in the evening, he, now then he's like waiting, sitting in the courtyard. Where's my wife gone? Right. Like, without <laughs> telling me, like, as any man would, <laughs> where's my wife? Yeah. She left the house without telling me. Right. And Where I'm has sick. she gone? I'm sick and dying here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then later in the evening, his wife reappears. Hmm. He's, and then he said, like, oh, my wife, like, where have you been? <laughs> like, where have you been this entire time? And then she told him, she's like, I went to Al Medina al Muawara. SubhanAllah. And he's like, tell me the truth. Like, what are you, what are you making this up? Yeah. He said, tell me the truth right now. He said, no, this is, this is how I, I went to Medina al Muawara. I, pray, I prayed my salah there and then I came back. SubhanAllah. And then he's like, how is this possible? And then she told him, by the Salat and Salam. This was narrated by Sheikh Babakir. Subhanallah. And uh, so, so, Salawat, if a person keeps it, they, Allah will open something for them, yeah. something unique for them. And he, yeah, the, one, of, one of the last thing that he said to his wife was like, Subhanallah, I've been teaching and in Khalwa doing ibadah for so many years and still haven't reached like this level. Subhanallah. And then she reached it through Salawat. This is the. Yeah, she reached it direct, directly through Salawat and outstripped everything else that he had done. And I heard one time too that uh, a man and a wife, they were both doing salawat in their own style, their own ways, right? But he didn't consider that she really does it. But then she all of a sudden outstripped him in everything, right? He had some kind of a mukashifa where she outstrips him in everything. And he said, oh Allah, I sit and I do a thousand salawats a day, right? How is she outstripping me? She doesn't, right? And then he heard a voice. He said, you do it so that you can be happy that you say I did a thousand, right? She does it from herself while she's doing wow. the chores of the house. She just does it for the love of the Prophet. She's not trying to achieve something, right? That's one of the biggest difference is that sometimes we actually are like competing with ourselves, proving something to ourselves. And that has focused, takes us from the tool. We're focusing on the tool, not why we're using the tool or the words not the one who is being praised, right? And that's why the focus always has to be the one who's being praised. Uh, as Zardaq says that upon the demise of Imam al-Jazuli, a fragrant smell of musk and amber used to spread forth from the grave. This was due to the blessing of his salawat. 
So there was another um, scholar from Morocco who is, uh, everyone should know, and his book should be on everyone's shelf. I want to do a, a, a mulakas of it, a summarization of it, uh, if summarization is a word, right? But I want to do a summary of it, which is an abridgment, okay? That is um, Imam Qadi Iyad, the great scholar Qadi Iyad. Mm, yeah. He was a strict Maliki judge, but he wrote this book, The Cure in All the Rights of Cure, Messenger yeah. okay? And that book is considered one of the greatest books on the rights of the Prophet ﷺ. And it's read as a cure, believe it or not. It's read as a cure. Now listen to the here another one. Blessing of reading hadith. Okay. A scholar once said, the knowledge which has the most blessing is the greatest knowledge and is the most beneficial in this world is the book of Allah, followed by the hadith of the Messenger of Allah. One will acquire the most blessing through the blessed hadith on account that every time he recites a hadith, he must bestow blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. You're going to keep saying, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That is one of the reasons that you're going to have so much blessing while studying that subject. Okay. The hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu are like orchards and gardens in which you will find every fine type of righteousness, virtue, and dhikr. Okay. How about someone who is engaged in salawats during a time of epidemic? He says here, Hadrat Mawlana, Muhammad Akhtar Saab. He narrates that a scholar had prepared a book named Nashrat Al-Tib okay, in regard to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, The entire book is about the love of the Prophet. And through reading this book, one can gauge how much love they have for the Messenger. He said, during the time where this author, at Thanwi, he was engaged in compiling this book, Nashrut Al-Tib. Okay. The city was afflicted by a plague. And it was noticed that on the day that the scholar wrote any portion of this book, there would be no reports of people dying from the plague. They just noted that. Sometimes he works on the book, sometimes he didn't. He realized, every time I'm writing the book, no one's dying. Okay. But on the day that he didn't write, someone died. Okay, When this obs observation uh, uh, came, when he made this observation, he, he kept writing the book every single day. He wouldn't leave off writing something, which is not easy to go find more material to write about, right? Writing about this, about the esteem, rank, position, all the virtues of love in the Prophet. After mentioning this, and then the plague died out. People stopped dying and people stopped getting sick. After mentioning the above incident, the scholar said, another scholar said, the recitation of abundant salawat is extremely beneficial in repelling calamities and disasters. If anyone's depressed, revive your salawat because you may have done it, then you taper off. That's the nature of everything, right? Like your clothes, you get new clothes, you got to get new clothes regularly because the clothes wears out, the clothes has holes in it, the clothes just it becomes drab, right? It just becomes drab. You have to get new clothes. Everything has to be renewed. Likewise, your salawats have to be renewed. Through reciting a single salawat, one's rank is elevated 10. His good deeds are given to him as 10, and his bad deeds removed are 10. Okay. Qutb al-Halabi, Syrian scholar, says, I once met Abu Ishaq, Ibrahim ibn Ali ibn Atiyah, he said, 
I was blessed with the vision of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. On saying him, I said to him, O messenger of Allah, I request for you to intercede for me on the day of Qiyamah. The messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, said, recite abundant salawat upon me. He didn't just say yes. He gave him the reason or the condition. How are we doing on time? We got Maliki click at 3.30 on, uh, what's that app called? Clubhouse. Yeah. I can never find the app because they keep changing the picture. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. Were you doing Congress class today? Yes. Uh, yeah, before the mode, uh, before Maghrib, so six o'clock. Yeah, convert class at six o'clock in the masjid. All right, how about this one? We did Qawl al Badia. Hassan ibn Muhammad says, I once saw Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in a dream. He said to me, If only you could witness with your eyes the great reward and blessing that shines before us in store. For those who write sallallahu alayhi wasallam in their books. Because the scribe, you know, sometimes he's tired. He doesn't want to write it. Note, when writing sallallahu alayhi wasallam, one should write a complete phrase in Arabic or whatever language there is, and they should not write these abbreviations. Why? Because it shows that it's not worth it. You're reflecting that it's not worth it. It's not worth my time or my energy. Jafar ibn Abdullah, he says, on one occasion, I met Abu Zur'a. There are, his Abu Zur'a is a hadith scholar. Abu Zur'a al-Razi. But I saw Abu Zur'a in a dream. I saw him in the heavens leading the angels in salah. I asked him, Ya Abu Zur'a. Ya is harf nida, and when it's followed by mudaf mudaf ilay, it's mansub. Ya Abu Zur'a. Otherwise, you'd say, Ya Abu, uh, uh, you'd say, let's say, Ya Aliyu, Ya Uthmanu, it's Marfu'a. Mm. Ooh. Mm. But when it's Mudaf Mudafile, it's Mansu. Ya Aba, you never say, Ya Abu Zura, Ya Aba. Okay. Ya Umm al Mu'minin, Mansu, if it's Mudaf Mudafile. He says, Ya Aba Zura, how did you reach this high position of honor? He says, with this hand. I have written in my life over one million hadiths. Now, there aren't one million hadiths, but there are one million chains. When a muhaddith, a scholar of hadith, says the word hadith, what he means is the chains. Okay? So the same hadith may have like 10 chains to it. So that's what he means by a million hadith. And whenever I write the name of the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I never hesitate to write the full salah and salam. And the Rasulullah sallallahu said, whoever recites salah on me once, then Allah bestows 10 mercies upon him. The muhaddithin, by their trade and profession of according to writing this, he said, according to my calculations, it would mean, through him, writing the durud one million times, that I have received 10 million salawat, uh, 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 mercies from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One can well imagine what then one mercy would do, let alone 10 million. Okay. Abu Ali. Hassan ibn Ali At-Tar, he says, Abu Tahir once gave me a few scripts of hadith. I saw therein that whenever he writes the name of the Messenger, وسلم, he writes, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kathiran, kathiran, kathiran. 
I then asked him, why do you write that in this manner? He said, in my youth, I used to write hadith and I did not write sallallahu alayhi wa I then saw the messenger in a dream and he greeted me. But the messenger, so I said to him, turned away from me. I then came to him from the other side and I, and, and I greeted him, but he turned away from me. Every time I go greet him, he turns away from me. Then I said, oh, Master of Allah, why do you turn away from me? He says, because whenever you write my name in your kitab, you do not offer salah on Since that time, I have written it, I've taken it as a habit, says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tasliman kathiran, kathiran, kathiran. Subhanallah. Writing taslim, I used to write books on hadith, a scholar says, and I used to write, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ تَسْلِيمًا Thereafter, I had a dream in the Prophet ﷺ with the book in his hand. He had that book that I was writing in his hand. After looking through the book, the Prophet ﷺ said, this is excellent. Because of the word taslima, that additional wording to it. Abu Sulaiman al-Harrani, which said this story a couple times. He said, I saw the messenger of sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a dream. And he said, Abu Sulaiman, when you copy hadith and my name is mentioned, I notice that you sacrifice, you suffice with salah and you do not send any salam upon me. Salam is a four-letter word and for every letter you would have received tenfold hasanat. So why are you throwing away 40 hasanat? How about Mullah al-Jami'ah? Is related that Mullah Jami says, having composed a qasida on the love of the Prophet, I wrote a poem on the love of the Messenger, peace be upon him. Decided to go to Hajj after that. His further intention was to stand in front of the Rauda and recite this poem to the Prophet, peace be upon him. After performing Hajj, when he intended to leave for Medina al Munawwara, after his Hajj, then he's going to go to Medina, he saw the Prophet in a dream. Oh, sorry, the Rasulullah appeared in the dream of the governor of Mecca. The governor of Mecca. And he told him he should not allow Mullah al-Jama' to enter Medina. So the government, the governor, got this dream and he prohibited him from leaving Medina. Uh, leaving for Medina. He trapped him in Mecca. He said, where is this man, Mullah al-Jama'? He brought him. He said, you're not leaving. He says, however, his love and longing for the Prophet was so much that he secretly set off. In secret. Okay. Once again, the governor saw a dream in which the Messenger was telling him, Mullah has left Mecca. Don't let him reach Medina. So this time, he called the police. He said, chase this man and make sure that you, he does not get into Medina and jail him this time. Put him in a jail. So they did that. Okay, they put him in jail. For the third time, the messenger came, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, appeared in the dream of the governor. This time, scolding him. He said, Mullah al-Jama is not a criminal. So why are you treating him harshly? Okay. <laughs> However, all that he had done was, he did this out of the love of the prophet because the prophet said, don't let him go and this man keeps escaping. So I jailed him. Okay. However, all that he had done was out of love of the Messenger he had composed his poetry, which he intended to the re recite in the presence of the Prophet. That's why the man kept... So Rasulullah said to the governor that if he recited the poetry, then Rasulullah would have to extend his hand to shake the hand of Mullah al-Jama. And this would cause great confusion to the people. That's why he didn't want him to come. SubhanAllah.
Thereafter, the government, the governor set him free, treated him with great respect and honor. That is a, a, a unique story. Very, very unique story. Okay. And this is narrated in Fada'il al-Durud, if you read Urdu. Subhanallah. Fazal Durud. However, Mawlana Muhammad Zakaria al Kandahlawi, he could not find the source because he wrote it in old age. Right? So he he had heard this story. Very ajib story. Subhanallah. Uh, Muhammad Zakaria al Kandahlawi said, A reliable friend of mine, in, all the Brailvis are going to be upset. Uh, a, rel a reliable friend of mine informed me regarding the scribe of Look Now. There's a city called Lucknow. 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 Okay. <laughs> I, knew it, I knew it sounded funny. He's either a, a British uh, city or, or something else. Okay. He would commence his daily work after writing durud on a sheet of paper, which he had reserved for this very purpose. He was a scribe. At the time of his death, okay, at the time of his death, he was overcome with fear of the hereafter. What will become of me? If I depart from this world. On saying this, a majdub. What is a majdub? A majdub is someone whom the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has actually uh, for, uh, sort of had an effect upon him that made him a little bit majnoon. Like the, the nur of the tajalliyat of Allah has been so strong, his soul and his mind couldn't handle it, so they became a little bit majnoon. That's what they call majdub. Okay? Majdub. He says... A majdub came and said, why are you so worried? The sheet of paper on which you write the durud and salam, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is now being adorned in paradise. If your paper is being adorned, then you must be from its members. In other words, from the people of paradise. SubhanAllah. So the piece of paper that he used to write his durud on, right, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, itself is being adorned. Let's read one more and then we'll go to the Q&A. Hey, Ryan, what's going on over there? Everything good? Oh, yeah, it's good over here. Okay, good. <laughs> sort of funny when I see that there are, like, discussions amongst the people talking. Dude, are they debating uh, your Shiaism? No, alhamdulillah. They're actually, the, the, my Instagram cut out, so I can't see what they're debating, but uh, they're, like, thanking each other and stuff. Yeah, oh, we have good discussions over here. So okay, nice. Beef today. <laughs> Reciting salawat in a gathering. The author of Nuzhat al-Majalis narrates the following incident from a certain wali from awliyaillah. Whenever we say wali from awliya, we mean by that that his, he has the signs of wilayah, so we hope he's a wali. So the truth of the saying is that it's majaz. It's an abbreviated version. The correct statement is someone who we consider to be wali because he has the signs of a wali. We're allowed to say that. In my opinion, this is a wali. It's my opinion, right? So it's just because he has the signs. Allah would not give us a goal of wilaya without telling us how to get there and showing us the signs. The signs of wilaya is knowledge and practice. That's how simple it is. A knowledge that is agreed upon by the ummah and practicing that knowledge. If you see that in somebody, that's the path of wilaya. Now, dhikr is one of the greatest paths of wilaya. Okay? Dhikr, they call it the fast track of wilaya. Manshur al-wilaya. It's the, uh, like the discount... Uh, Express lane. Express lane for wilaya. Dhikr. Okay, now he says here, the author of Nuzhat al-Majalis, he narrates the following incident. I had a neighbor 
who was very sinful. I always urged him to make tawbah. He would not listen. He commits sins. Then he passed away, and I saw him in Jannah. I inquired, how did you reach Jannah? He said, I was once present in the gathering of a muhaddith who said, the one who recites salah on the Prophet ﷺ will be guaranteed Jannah. I thus began reciting salah on the Prophet ﷺ, and others did so, and we were all pardoned. We were all pardoned. Salah on the Prophet ﷺ, not only does it guarantee someone safety in akhirah, it also guarantees the safety of their heart in this world. What do I mean by that? I mean by that from the, the sadnesses, the depressions, the uh, disappointments, all of that nasty stuff that comes on the heart of a person, it can be wiped away by Salah on the Messenger. Sufyan ibn Uyayna narrates that Khalaf said, I had a friend with whom I used to study hadith. After he passed away, I saw him in a dream, wandering freely around, wearing new green clothes, and I asked him, we used to study hadith together. How did you attain this high station? He said, we did write hadith together, but whenever I came across the name of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, I would write sallallahu alayhi wasallam underneath it. In return for this, Allah granted me this honor that you see. SubhanAllah. Ibn Abi Sulaiman says, I saw my father in a dream after his demise. I asked, how did Allah deal with you? He said, Allah forgave me. I asked, by what deed did he forgive you? He said, constant writing of sallallahu alayhi wasallam after every hadith. Abu Nu'aym, he, he narrates that the great scholar Sufyan al-Thawri, which you know the Sufyan al-Thawri from Kufa, okay, one of the early, early uh, pillars of knowledge, Sufyan al-Thawri, he mentioned, I was once leaving my house when my gaze fell upon a young man who was reading Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala ali Muhammad with every step that he took in tawaf. I said to him, do you have any proof for what you're doing? Like, is there a basis for why you're doing this in tawaf? He said, who are you? He said, I'm Sufyan al-Thawri. He said, Sufyan of Iraq? Like the Sufyan? He said, yes. He says, do you have any recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like, you, you know Allah? He said, yes. He says, how did you attain your ma'rifah of Allah? I said, he takes the night out of the day. And like, or how did you, what is your proof of Allah's existence? He said, look at the night and the day. Look at the child in the womb. There is a creator. Essentially, that's what he asked him. Do you know, you believe in Allah? Yes. What's the proof? Look at the creation. In other words, the boy says, you have not truly recognized him. I asked him, so how do you know, how do you know Allah? What's your, what's your basis of knowing Allah? He says, I firmly decide on doing something, but I end up having to cancel it. Right? I make an intention to do something, but I can't do it. I resolve to do something, but I'm not able to do it. Okay? So I realize there must be another being who's governing my affairs. All right. So good discussion so far. I then asked him regarding that recitation. Why do you say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Allahumma uh, wa ala ali Muhammad, every time you take a step? I asked him, why do you do this? He said, I was traveling for Hajj with my mother. She passed away on the journey. My mom died on the journey. She was not a great woman. So when she died, her face was dark. Her stomach was bloated. And she, Allah had taken her before she could make Hajj. So that's also a reason for that, right? That means Allah did not want you to make Hajj. That is means Allah was displeased with her. 
So he became so upset, and I realized my mom must have committed major sins that Allah does not want to make Hajj. When she died, her face looks terrible, her stomach is bloated. So I put my hands up to Allah and I made dua until I saw a cloud coming from Tihama. A cloud coming in the sky. Because he made such a such a desperate dua for his mother. If you saw your mother in that state, you would do that too, right? Then I saw a man appear and he passed his hand over my mother's face. When I looked, her face was peaceful and happy and her stomach was back to normal. I asked the man, who are you? Who, who are you that you just did this? He said, I'm your prophet. I then asked him for some advice. The Prophet said, every time you take a step, say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad. He said, this is why even in tawaf, every step that I take, I would say, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. All times. Subhanallah Last one. Shah Waliullah. There's no discussion on Shah Waliullah in terms of authenticity and authority. He's the Mujaddid of India. He writes in Al Hiriz al Thameen, under number 19, his father related the following I was once traveling in the blessed month of Ramadan. It was extremely hot at the time, and I was undergoing great difficulty. In that state, I fell asleep and I saw the Messenger. He gave me the most delicious, sweet dish with rice, saffron, sugar, and ghee, and I ate to my fill. Thereafter, the Messenger gave me water. And I, thus my thirst and my hunger were totally satisfied. And when I awoke, I could smell the fragrance of the food in my fingers. SubhanAllah. Why don't we actually practice this? We have some time before we have to go to Maliki Clicks. Ten minutes, we'll recite. You have your books? Get it on the phone. You don't have the app? There's an app for this. There's an app. We'll actually recite some of this. We've never done a recitation on the live stream, but I think it's dalalkhairat.com. You can go to dalalkhairat.com. I got the book here, and uh, what his for Thursday is going to be at Hizb al al Khamis. How do you spell it, right? Dalalkhairat. Everybody, pay attention. D a l a i l a l <laughs> no, I just got some Turkish sites. No, oh, hey, Oz, because why don't we just start from the beginning? Because if people are following along, they're not going to be able to find it. But like the first hisp, right? Not like from the introduction. Yeah, the first hisp is on page 27, right? Delayelkhairat.com. Brian, regular special, uh, regular spelling? Delayel. Al Khairat or Khairat? Al Khairat. Al Khairat. Dot com. Dot com. I'm gonna put the. Do we talk about this stuff? We gotta like do it and show people how it's yeah. done too. Ilal Al Khairat. Dot com. All right. Hopefully it works. Here we go. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim sallallahu ala Sayyidina wa Maulana Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. اللهم صل على محمد وأزواجه وذريته كما صليت على إبراهيم 
وبارك على محمد وأزواجه وذريته كما باركت على آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آله كما صليت على إبراهيم وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آل محمد اللهم صل على محمد عبدك ورسولك اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم وترحم على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما ترحمت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم وتحنن على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما تحننت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل وسلم على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما سلمت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد وارحم محمدا وآل محمد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت ورحمت وباركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد النبي وأزواجه أمهات المؤمنين وذريته وأهل بيته كما صليت على إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم داحي المدحوات وبارئ المسموكات وجبار القلوب على فطرتها شقيها وسعيدها اجعل شرائف صلواتك ونوامي بركاتك ورأفة تحننك على محمد عبدك ورسولك الفاتح لما أغلق والخاتم لما سبق والمعلن الحق بالحق والدامغ لجيشات الأباطيل كما حمل فطلع فط بأمرك بطاعتك مستوفزا في مرضاتك واعيا لوحيك حافظا لعهدك ماضيا على نفاذ أمرك حتى أورى قبسا لقابس ألاء الله تصل بأهله أسبابا به هديت القلوب بعد خوضات الفتن والإثم وأبهج موضحات الأعلام ونائرات الأحكام ومنيرات الإسلام فهو أمينك المأمون وخازن علمك المخزون وشهيدك يوم الدين وبعيثك نعمة ورسولك بالحق رحمة اللهم افسح له في عدنك واجزه مضاعفات الخير من فضلك وأنأة له غير مكدرات من فوز ثوابك المحلول وجزيل عطائك المعلول اللهم علي على بناء الناس بناءه 
واكرم مثواه لديك ونزولا واتمم له نوره واجزه من ابتعاثك له مقبول الشهاده ومرضي المقاله ذا منطق عدل مخطط فصل وبرهان عظيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما لبيك اللهم ربي وسعديك صلوات الله البر الرحيم والملائكه المقربين والنبيين الصديقين والشهداء والصالحين وما سبح لك من شيء يا رب العالمين على سيدنا محمد بن عبد الله خاتم النبيين وسيد المرسلين وإمام المتقين ورسول رب العالمين الشاهد البشير الداعي إليك بإذنك السراج المنير عليه السلام اللهم اجعل صلواتك وبركاتك ورحمتك على سيد المرسلين وإمام المتقين وخاتم النبيين محمد عبدك ورسولك إمام الخير وقائد الخير ورسول الرحمة اللهم ابعثه مقاما محمودا يغبطه فيه الأولون والآخرون اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأولاده وأزواجه وذريته وأهل بيته وأصهاره وأمصاره وأشيعه ومحبه وأمته وعلينا معهم أجمعين يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم صل على محمد عدد من صلى عليه وصلي على محمد عاد من لم يصلي عليه وصلي على محمد كما أمرتنا بالصلاة عليه وصلي عليه كما يحب أن يصلى عليه اللهم صلي على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما أمرتنا أن نصلي عليه اللهم صلي على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما هو أهله اللهم صلي على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما تحب وترضاه له اللهم يا رب محمد وآل محمد صلي على محمد وآل محمد وأعطي محمدنا الدرجة والوسيلة في الجنة اللهم يا رب محمد وآل محمد اجزي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله اللهم صلي على محمد وعلى آل محمد وعلى أهل بيته اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد حتى لا يبقى من الصلاة شيء وارحم محمدا وآل محمد حتى لا يبقى من الرحمة شيء بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد حتى لا يبقى من البركة شيء وسلم على محمد وعلى آل محمد حتى لا يبقى من السلام شيء اللهم صل على محمد في الأولين وصل على محمد في الآخرين وصلي على محمد في النبيين وصلي على محمد في المرسلين وصلي على محمد في الملأ الأعلى إلى يوم الدين اللهم أعطي محمدنا الوسيلة والفضيلة والشرف والدرجة الكبيرة اللهم إني آمنت بمحمد ولم أره فلا تحرمني في الجنان رؤيته وارزقني صحبته وتوفني على ملته واسقني من حوضه مشربا رويا سائغا هنيا لا نظمأ بعده أبدا إنك على كل شيء قدير اللهم أبلغ روح محمد مني تحية وسلاما اللهم وكما آمنت به ولم أره فلا تحنني في الجنان رؤيته اللهم تقبل شفاعة محمد الكبرى 
وارفع درجته العليا وآتي سؤله في الآخرة والأولى كما آتيت إبراهيم وموسى اللهم أصل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد نبيك ورسولك وإبراهيم خليلك وصفيك وموسى كليمك ونجيك وعيسى روحك وكلمتك وعلى جميع ملائكتك ورسولك وأنبيائك وخيرتك من خلقك وصفيائك وخاصتك وأوليائك من أهل أرضك وسمائك وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد عدد خلقه ورضا نفسه وزنة عرشه ومداد كلماته وكما هو أهله وكل ما ذكره الذاكرون وغفر عن ذكره الغافلون وعلى أهل بيته وعترته الطاهرين والسلم تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى أزواجه وذريته وعلى جميع النبيين والمرسلين والملائكة والمقربين وجميع عباد الله الصالحين عدد ما أمطرت السماء منذ بنيتها وصل على محمد عدد ما أنبتت الأرض منذ دحوتها وصل على محمد عدد النجوم في السماء فإنك أحصيتها وصل على محمد عدد ما تنفست الأرواح منذ خلقتها صلي على محمد عدد ما خلقت وما تخلق وعدد ما أحاط بعلمك وأضاف ذلك اللهم صل عليهم عدد خلقك ورضا نفسك وزنة عرشك ومداد كلماتك ومبلغ علمك وآياتك اللهم صل عليهم صلاة تفوق وتفضل صلاة المصلين عليهم من الخلق أجمعين كفضلك على جميع خلقك اللهم صل عليهم صلاة دائمة مستمرة الدوام على مر الليل والأيام متصلة الدوام لانقضاء لها والانصرام على مر الليل والأيام عدد كل وابل وطل اللهم صل على محمد نبيك وإبراهيم خليلك وعلى جميع أنبيائك وأصفيائك من أهل أرضك وسمائك عدد خلقك ورضا نفسك وزنة عرشك ومداد كلماتك ومنتهى علمك وزنة جميع مخلوقاتك صلاة مكررة أبدا عدد ما أحصى علمك وملء ما أحصى علمك وضعف ما أحصى علمك صلاة تزيد وتفوق وتفضل صلاة المصلين عليهم من الخلق أجمعين كفضلك على جميع خلقك اللهم اجعلني ممن لازم ملة نبيك محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وعظم حرمته وأعز كلمته وحفظ عهده وذمته ونصر حزبه ودعوته وكثر تابعيه وفرقته ووافى زمرته ولم يخالف سبيله وسنته اللهم إني أسألك الاستمساك بسنته وأعوذ بك من الانحراف عما جاء به اللهم إني أسألك من خير ما سألك منه محمد نبيك ورسولك صلى الله عليه وسلم وأعوذ بك من شر ما استعاذك منه محمد نبيك ورسولك صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم أعصني من شر الفتن وعافني من جميع المحن وأصلح مني ما ظهر وما بطن ونق قلبي من الحقد والحسد ولا تجعل علي تباعة لأحد اللهم إني أسألك الأخذ بأحسن ما تعلم والترك لسيء ما تعلم وأسألك التكفل بالرزق والزهد في الكفاف والمخرج بالبيان من كل شبهة والفلج بالصواب في كل حجة والعدل في الغضب والرضا والتسليم لما يجري به القضاء 
والاقتصاد في الفقر والغنى والتواضع في القول والفعل والصدق في الجد والهزل اللهم إن لي ذنوبا فيما بيني وبينك وذنوبا فيما بيني وبين خلقك اللهم ما كان لك منها فاغفر وما كان منها لخلقك فتحمله عني وأغنني بفضلك إنك واسع المغفرة اللهم نور بالعلم قلبي واستعمل بطاعتك بدني وخلص من الفتن سري واشغل بالاعتبار فكري وقني شر وساوس الشيطان واجرني منه يا رحمن حتى لا يكون له علي سلطان سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله يا رب العالمين We'll stop here, inshallah.